0: All right. Well, hey, before we get into uh, the sermon this morning, I wanted to tell you a little bit about uh, what's ahead, what we're looking to ahead. Starting next Sunday, we're actually going to be beginning a new sermon series. You know, the world that we live in, the culture we find ourselves in is is constantly preaching at us. And often the messages that we hear have a whole lot to do with Our identity, where we find our identity, what it means to be human. It can be things like work or relationships or our stuff or things, sexuality, family. But you know what? The world isn't where our understanding of self and humanity originates, its origin is with God. And so, starting next Sunday, we're going to begin a series called Origins Living Life in God's World. And the text we're going to be in through that time is Genesis chapters 1, 2, and 3. The place where we see how God made us and how God intended for us to live in his world, but also how sin came and rebellion came and and jacked that all up. And as we'll see, and our hope is, is that we can still have hope in the midst of all the brokenness. In this series, we'll talk about everything that has to do with kind of us and how our world began and and how it begins and ends with God, and who we are, and what we're to do in light of that reality—that in the beginning, God. So I want to invite you to be praying about that. I invite you to think about someone you could come, could, you could invite to come with you to gather with us, especially maybe somebody who doesn't yet know Christ or somebody you've been talking with, because this really is the core of what it means to know God, who He is, and who we are supposed to be, what our identity, where our identity is truly found. So let's be intentional with thinking about that and praying for that as we spend the next eight weeks uh, walking through those chapters. So this morning I'm going to go ahead and pray for that and a few other things before we dive into our sermon. So let's pray together. Father, I give you thanks just for the opportunity we have to be together this morning. Thank you for the gathering of the church. God, that you have provided this for us weekend and week out to be encouraged and reminded and refreshed in the good news of the gospel, to be reminded of the greatness of who you are and who we are in light of that, and our need for your grace, our need for you. God, I pray that as we look forward to this new sermon series in Genesis 1, 2, and 3, God, I pray that you would open up our eyes to behold you, to see how great you are, that everything begins and ends with you. And God, if we've are going to hear things that we've never heard before, or maybe we're just being reminded of things we already know. I pray that it would encourage us to root our identity in who you say we are and what that means for our lives. God, I pray that you would use this series to ground us in truth as we go out into the world. And God, I pray that you would bring people yourself through this sermon series as well. God, we also this morning want to pray for our church God, I pray for those that are at home right now for different reasons. Maybe some that are feeling isolated or dealing with sickness. Would you comfort them, God? I pray for my brothers and sisters who maybe are struggling spiritually right now, kind of waffling a bit in their faith or unsure if you really are who you say you are. God, would you strengthen and encourage them this morning? God, I pray for all the kids of our church. God, I pray that you would bring them to a place to truly know and follow Jesus. Give them ears to hear and eyes to see. Save them, God, I pray, from their sin. And even as some of them are down in their classes right now, would you bless those times and those teachers as they share the gospel with them. And God, once again, we continue to pray for Ukraine. God, I pray that you bring peace in that place. God, I pray that you bring protection. God, I pray that you bring wisdom to leaders. God, we also pray for justice and accountability. God, would you protect the families and people who are fleeing for their lives and continue, God, to strengthen the church there. That even in the midst of darkness, that the light of the gospel would shine forth and that many would come to know you. But God, we do pray for an end to this war. And lastly, God, we pray for Mission Church. God, thank you that we get to partner with other churches who are also preaching and proclaiming the gospel. Thank you that we get to support Mission Church, a church plant down in Norfolk. God, I pray that you would encourage them this morning, even now as they gather together. May the word go forth in the midst of that congregation and in that community, that more people might come to know you in that city. And God, now as we open up your word, I pray that you would bless us. Help us to be a healthy, faithful community who makes and equips growing disciples of Jesus for our good and your glory. We pray all this in Christ's name, amen. I'm gonna invite Lindy now to read our sermon text out of 1 Thessalonians chapter five. 1 Thessalonians 5, 14 through 22. And we urge you brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Amen. (laughs) You know, a while ago, my, uh, my son Isaac was invited to go over to a friend's house to play. And so we jumped in the car and we drove over there. He was excited to go play. This friend was excited too. We, as we pulled up in the driveway, we saw him kind of looking out the window in anticipation for, for Isaac to get there. But then something funny happened. We pulled up in the driveway, his friend came out the door and I thought, you know, to come over and say, hey, or like, let's go, let's play. But instead he just ignored us, didn't say hello, and walked over to a tree and started climbing it. Like, I thought you invited this over. I'm not really sure what's going on here. But, you know, kids do funny things like that, right? Like, I I want you to be here, but I'm not really sure if I want you to be here. I'm not really sure what's going on. But nobody was offended because, you know, it's kids. But it made me think of something that can happen with adults in community as well. You know, sometimes we can be eager for community. We can long for it. We can even look for it. We can talk about it. But when the opportunity comes for us to be in relationship with other people, we can start to get weird around one another. Like, we're not exactly sure what we're supposed to do when we get there. We know we need community, or at least we think that we do. But sometimes it can be challenging. It can be challenging to feel like we're getting anywhere with anyone. And I think that's especially true after the last two years that we've been through. So many different things going on, the strangeness and difficulties that we've experienced. Whether that be COVID or the isolation we've experienced. Some of us more than others have experienced from that. It could be all the things, the different Beliefs and thoughts and feelings about politics or cultural issues, it's created some difficulty within relationships, how we engage one another. Today we're continuing on in our Life Along the Way sermon series. And this is a series that we're using to address, address different aspects of being a follower of Jesus. Followers of Jesus who are called to be in the world but not of it. and The reality and tension that comes with that. So this will be a series that we come back to over and over again. The last two Sundays, we've preached on waiting on the Lord and also what it means to be on mission amongst our neighbors and the nations. Two things that have been particularly challenging over these last couple of years. Well, today we're going to talk about community. More specifically, we're going to talk about how to engage one another in helpful and healthy relationships as we seek to help one another follow Jesus. And something that's vital for the health of our church and something we have to continually work at as we seek to live life along the way. See, the reason I feel like the Lord wants us to dive into this today is because I long for us to be a church, to be a community that relates to one another in a different way than the world relates to one another. In, in polarizing times, there's a lot of talking over one another, not a lot of talking to one another and as followers of Jesus, we have an opportunity, maybe even could say an obligation, to do this different, to be different, to live in relationship the way God desires and God designed. See, the Christian life is not a, a solo project. It's a community endeavor. You are saved as an individual from your sin, but you're saved into the church into this body of believers. What that means is, is that we are all on this journey with one another. Man, it's hard work. It's hard work to be in relationship with other people, especially people that are different from you. And for some of us, we've forgotten that we're called to be in relationship in this way with one another. For some of us, we maybe don't recognize our role or responsibility in each other's lives to help each other follow Jesus. Maybe for others, we know we have this responsibility. We know that we should be in relationship, but we don't always go about it in the most helpful way. So today is gonna be very practical. In fact, we're gonna spend most of our time in one verse, just digging into one verse this morning. And what the Holy Spirit gives us to us in this is a wonderful gift of guidance. Because in this, we learn something. We learn to recognize who it is that we're talking to and how to come alongside that person to help them to follow Jesus as we live life along the way. Brothers and sisters, if we seek to take this up, if we seek to live this out by the empowerment of the Spirit in our lives, it can significantly transform our community and our lives as we seek to follow Jesus and help others to do the same. So let's jump into First Thessalonians 5 and may God bless the preaching of his word. You know, Paul's writing this letter to the church at Thessalonica. He's writing to them to encourage them and to exhort them. They're facing opposition. They're facing persecution for following Jesus. And they're struggling to know how to respond and how to remain faithful. Now, Paul has said a whole lot of different things in this letter, but chief among them is that he's told us of the need for them to be in this together. See, Paul's been reminding them of the good news of the gospel. Things that we've been singing about this morning. The fact that we were dead in our sin and rebellion against God, but he sent Jesus, his son, to come and live a perfect life to take on all of our humanity and then willingly go to a cross to die in our place. To take on the punishment that you and I deserve for our sin and our rebellion against God. And Paul's reminding the Thessalonians of that. He's reminding us that there's a fundamental change that takes place in your life and your identity when you place your faith in Jesus, in his person, in his work. And Right before this text that we're gonna look at today, Paul says, look at verse 11. He says, therefore, kind of in light of all of that, of who you are in Christ now, and the fact that everything has changed for you if you've placed your faith in Jesus, he says, therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. This is a call to keep discipling one another. Now, what does it mean to be, to, to disciple one another? Well, first off, we have to understand that if you are a follower of Jesus, if you are a Christian, then you are a disciple of Jesus. Disciple means learner or follower. You are forever seeking to learn from Jesus. You're forever seeking to follow him in all of life. What I mean by that is that you're seeking to live a life that looks more and more like Jesus. In all of life, your actions, your relationships, your worship. It's to see the image of God restored in you. We're going to talk about the image of God in our new sermon series. So for the person who's pursuing Jesus, who's seeking to be conformed to be more like him, who's following after him, Paul seems to give a picture of what his or her life will look like in verses 15 through 22 that Lindy read for us this morning want to know some of the reality of what it means to be a follower of Jesus, you could read more about those verses. In that, he talks about understanding the will of God. In that, he talks about pursuing holiness, becoming more like Christ. In that, he talks about communing with God, spending time in prayer and thankfulness for who God is and what he's done in your life. But like I said, this isn't something that you're supposed to do alone. We are called here and throughout scripture to encourage one another and build one another up. We're called to help one another finish the race. Listen, this is not the role of just the pastors of the local church. They certainly are part of that, but it's not the role of just the pastors. This is a role and responsibility of the whole church. It's a responsibility of one to another, all of us all in. And so when I say discipling one another, I simply mean helping one another follow Jesus. Helping one another follow Jesus. Discipling one another is as simple as that. Which means that if you know Jesus, then you can be a part of helping disciple your brothers and sisters around you. But how exactly do we do that? Well, there are many means of grace given to us. The gathering of the church is a part of our discipling and growing together. Our own communion with God through his word and through prayer are a part of that. But there's also this key part that we play in each other's lives, which is exactly what Paul gets at in verse 14. And we urge you, brothers and sisters, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See, this verse highlights something. It highlights the fact that living life in a broken world is challenging. It's wearying for us. It's it, it, highlights the fact that we need one another along the way if we're going to be faithful to live out all that he says in verses 15 through 22. If we're gonna be faithful to follow Christ and become like him. But Paul does something interesting here in this one verse, which is why I wanna spend most of our time kind of digging into this. He gives us three types of people and three separate approaches to helping them follow Jesus. So let's look at each one of them. The first, the idol. The, to be idle is to not be moving. It's like a car whose engine is running, but it's just sitting there. So a person can have life and breath, but no movement. No movement. Idleness can mean laziness, like an unwillingness to take out the trash or go to work. But it also has this sense of a disorderly, undisciplined life. Like someone not following the orders of their commanding officer, or in our case, the king of kings. Like I said, disciples of Jesus are followers of Jesus, and so this necessitates a movement in our lives, becoming more and more like him, seeking to walk in obedience in all areas of life. It's pursuing Christ, discipling yourself for godliness, continuing to repent and believe, turning away from sin, and turning to faith in Jesus over and over again. Some of the Thessalonians weren't doing this. They were waiting around for Jesus to come again, just kind of twiddling their thumbs. Some of them were giving up because, man, it was just too hard, or the world was too tempting. And their idleness had become disruptive and distracting to the community. It was creating frustration and bitterness amongst the fellow members of the church. So what would that look like in our lives today, in our own context? It might be something like consumeristic Christianity. This idea where I'm coming to get something from the church, but I don't really have a whole lot that I want to offer to the church. I have certain needs and requirements that I desire to be met, and if those aren't met in this particular place, I'm going to go down the street somewhere else until I can find them. It might look like living a life not just in the world, but actually of the world, where you look no different than your neighbor or coworker who isn't following Christ. It's an undisciplined life, not seeking to throw off the sin that so easily entangles and run the race laid before you. It's being deceived by sin. Additionally, idle people tend to grumble and complain about life. That things aren't going the way they want them to go. Their needs aren't being met in the way they desire them to be met. Simply put, they're on the wide road that leads to destruction, like Jesus tells us in Matthew 7. And they either don't know it or they don't seem to care. Now, this is serious. It's why Paul's instruction on how to help the idol follow Jesus is to admonish them. To admonish them, it means to warn them. Now, this is an endearing term. It may not sound like it, but it's an endearing term of correction because of what's at stake. Hebrews chapter 3 tells us to exhort one another every day as long as it's called today so that we may not be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin see sin is deceiving and its deception is going to come at you in a whole lot of different ways and so we need to be reminded of that what can happen though is we can it can be like being on a train kind of cruising along the tracks the bridge is out ahead and there's signs all along the way telling you that the bridge is out ahead but you're enjoying all the things that are going on inside the train car the food, the drink, the fun, the laughter, not paying attention to where you're going. See, when you admonish someone, when you warn an idle brother or sister, you are seeking in love, in love, to tell them that the bridge is out ahead. Say, brother, or sister, the track that you're on doesn't end in a good place. Turn away from that. You're warning them, you're telling them that Jesus and his ways really are better than anything that the world offers to you. Now, I know this is hard. I mean, we can look at these other three. We're going to look at all of them. Out of all three things that Paul talks about here, this is probably the most challenging one for us, the one we like the least. It's having to actually admonish someone. But it's something in love that we must do for one another. Now, this is not going on a sin hunt in each other's lives. Like, hey, he told me to admonish you, so I'm gonna find something to admonish you in. We're not looking in every nook and cranny of each other's lives, turning over every rock. We're living in relationship with one another. So as we observe things about one another's lives, we're able to do this. See, admonishment is a loving wake-up call. And we see Jesus do this. He corrected his disciples at various points. His admonishment might be firm, but it's saturated in love and in grace. I mean, think about this. What a gift it is to have brothers and sisters who are willing to do that for us, knowing that it's difficult to do, willing to do it when we're struggling with idleness or an undisciplined life. I mean, I've had this in my life. I've had brothers come alongside of me and encourage me or admonish me and say, hey, where you're going, what you're thinking, what you're saying, what you're doing or not needs to be changed, needs to be corrected. But they did it in love. They did it in love to help me see that. And I'm grateful for it. Now, not everyone who needs help following Jesus is idle, though. So Paul also mentions the faint hearted. To be faint hearted is to be discouraged. It's people who are weary from the difficulty of following Jesus in a world that's set against him. For the Thessalonians, this was due to intense persecution. Some of the brothers and sisters were feeling overwhelmed, unsure if they could continue to move forward. See, to be faint-hearted is to be running the race, but unsure if you're going to be able to make it to the end. It's to be timid in following Jesus, especially in the face of opposition. So what would that look like in our own context, our own lives? It could be someone who's weighed down or feels knocked around as they seek to follow Jesus in this world. They're experiencing ridicule or disdain or maybe bullying from a family member or a coworker or a classmate or a friend. Or they're faint-hearted because it's just the challenge of trying to stay faithful when life is hard. Maybe being weary from fighting against temptation and sin. You're just worn out wondering, is it really worth it? Is it really worth it to pursue holiness? Is it really worth it to seek to glorify God in all of my life and my thoughts and my words and my actions? So Paul tells the Thessalonians and us that those who are faint-hearted need encouragement. They need encouragement. And what they need encouragement in is not pithy platitudes or empty words. No, encouragement means to be infused with courage infused with courage to keep pressing forward in the fight for faith and the fight for joy along the way. Jesus did this. He told his disciples, you are going to have trouble in this world, but take heart, I've overcome the world. See, what the faint hearted need is to be reminded and refreshed in who God is. To be reminded and refreshed in the victory that is his and is now given to them and who they are in Christ so that they can keep running the race before them. Encouragement of the people standing along the racetrack, encouraging, saying, you can do this. Keep moving forward. Keep placing your foot in front of the next one, in front of the next one. You don't have to go fast. Just keep moving forward. You can do this by God's grace and help. But not everyone who needs help following Jesus is idle or faint-hearted. Paul also mentions the weak. Someone who's weak is unable to move forward. So this could certainly include physical, mental, or spiritual weakness. But because we are both body and soul, we're psychosomatic beings, sometimes the delineation between those two things can be difficult. Our physical and mental weakness can affect our spiritual life and vice versa. So for the Thessalonians, they were brothers and sisters that were essentially, physically and spiritually paralyzed, unable to move forward in faith. What will this look like in our own context and lives? Well, it's very similar to the Thessalonians. There are people in our community who have or will experience this kind of weakness. That will manifest itself in different ways, different forms, sometimes overlapping in physical and mental and spiritual ways. See, where the faint-hearted person is unsure if they can or want to move forward, the weak person knows he or she is unable to move forward. That's why Paul's instruction for them is to help the weak. Help the weak. See, the weak person needs support. The weak person needs presence. Are you familiar with the story of the paralytic man and his friends? Jesus is in town and he's teaching and he's gathered in a house and he's teaching. And so these friends who have uh, another friend who's paralyzed, unable to move find out Jesus is in town, the healer is in town, the teacher is in town. They say, we've got to get our friend to Jesus. And so they get there, but the house is packed out. There's no room for them to make their way through with their friend. And so they say, that's not good enough. (laughs) And they climb up on that roof and they rip open the roof and they lower their friend to the feet of Jesus. When we come alongside the weak person, what we need to do is love them enough to lower them to the feet of Jesus. Because who they need is Jesus. Come before them again and again. Bring them before the foot of the cross again and again. And the empty tomb again and again. And the king of kings again and again. So what we have to see in all three of these types of people who are struggling to follow Jesus for various re- reasons. Whether they need admonishment or encouragement or help. Is that it's not, we're not doing that with good methods or good thoughts. What we're doing that with is the gloriousness of the gospel. We're... we're displaying for them, declaring before them a a exalted Christ. We're giving them a big view of God again, reminding them that Jesus is alive and he'll come again to make all things new. He's never gonna leave you. He's never gonna forsake you. We're reminding them that God is sovereign over everything. Mark talked about this a couple of weeks ago. He's named the stars. He knows everything about everyone at all times. Nothing is outside of his ability. He's providential over your life. Every difficulty or challenge you have in following Jesus, God isn't up there going like, oops. No, he knows it all. He has it all under control. But when we come alongside people who need admonishment or need encouragement or need help, that's what we're putting before them is how great our God is. Saying, let's follow him together. It's by pointing one another again and again to the one who invites us to come to him weak and weary, broken and overwhelmed to find rest for our souls. Listen, if you find yourself this morning being in any of these places, idle, faint-hearted, weak, maybe you find yourself this morning not yet believing. You're just checking out who Jesus is. Look to him today. Look to Jesus, the one who lived and died and rose again. He gives grace upon grace. We never move on from our desperation for grace. We never move on from the greatness of King Jesus. Now church, in all of this, we have to understand that there's an urgency in our mutual discipleship. Paul says, we urge you. This isn't something to put on the back burner, say you'll do it next year. There's an urgency to it. There's a proactive intentionality. But there's also a need for discernment. To ask ourselves the question, who am I talking to right now? And what do they actually need right now? See, sometimes what happens is we could read something like this and we have good intentions of helping a brother or sister, but we misread who they are. Or what's going on or what kind of help they actually need. I've seen this in my own life. I've seen this in the lives of others. That we admonish someone who needs encouragement. Or we seek to help someone who needs admonishment. And it doesn't always go well. And the reality is it's often complex because people oftentimes are a mix of all three of these things is why I think Paul finishes his short exhortation about helping one another follow Jesus by calling us to be patient with them all this might be the most important part and the hardest part of this whole verse because man we really struggle with patience or at least I do See, patience is paramount to our life with Jesus, but the specific word that Paul uses here isn't about patience in a waiting sense. It's patience in the sense of long-suffering, of enduring, of bearing with. That means that this kind of patience isn't something you can just acquire by reading a book or taking a course or deciding, today I'm going to be patient. No, this kind of patience is a fruit of the Spirit, Which means that to have this kind of patience that Paul is calling you to have with your brothers and sisters, to be long-suffering, to bear with, to endure with them, you need the help of the Holy Spirit to do it. You, You have to be patient in this way. If you're going to be patient in this way, then we have to pray and ask for that. God, would you please give me this kind of patience with my brothers and sisters? We also have to understand that patience doesn't mean passive. Sometimes I think we get those things confused. Patience doesn't mean passive. It means we roll up our sleeves and we lean into one another's lives because we genuinely love one another. Church, we don't give up on one another. We, We don't give up. We don't give people a few tries and then move along. We stick it out and we stick with one another. That's why church membership is so important. Again, if you or not yet a member of this church and you're thinking about it, go to that class on Saturday. It's why membership really matters. Because what we're saying to one another in church membership is, I am with you and I am for you and I'm not going anywhere. I want to help you follow Jesus and I need you to help me follow Jesus too. We're in this together. This is love. And it's a love that's modeled for us and given to us by God in and through Jesus. Jesus. In a moment, we're going to sing an old hymn called In Tenderness. And one of the verses says this. He, meaning Jesus, died for me, not when I had it all figured out, but while I was sinning. Needy and poor and blind, he whispered to assure me, I found thee, thou art mine. Jesus came to us as one of us to rescue us. He pursued us. He sought us. He came to seek and to save the lost. Not once we'd figured it out. not once we'd cleaned ourselves up and had our life looking nice and neat, not once we weren't idle or weren't faint-hearted or weren't weak. No, in the midst of all of it, He came to redeem and restore. And now, because of that, we can go and do the same in the lives of others, because of Christ and because we have the Holy Spirit. And it's hard though. We want quick, we want immediate. We want to go to a brother or sister and say, hey, you need encouragement, here's some encouragement. You're good? Right, we want, we want that quick, we want that immediate result, but that's not how it works. We need patience with them as they're working things out and we're working things out with them and we're trusting God and his providence in their lives. It's hard, but it's absolutely vital for the overall health of this community as we seek to help one another follow Christ. Listen, how would our church be changed if we lived this out? You know, something that I think that can help us be patient with other people as we're helping them follow Jesus is having an accurate view of ourselves. And we can look at a list like this and think, okay, let me look for the people that need admonishment and encouragement and help but I'd encourage you to look at that list and recognize that you've been all of those things. This is all of us at different points and probably more often than we'd like to admit. Sometimes you're clearly the one that's saying to others, follow me as I follow Christ. And sometimes you're clearly the one that needs help following Christ. But often we're both. And we're most effective in each other's lives when you see yourself as both. Listen, you are simultaneously both needy and needed. You're needy and needed. When you humbly recognize your your own ongoing need for help and following Jesus, you'll be that much more effective in the life of your brothers and sisters, that much more helpful, that much more able to be patient with others who need help as well. See, Paul is laying out the way for us to help one another follow Jesus, knowing that at different times and different seasons, we all need different approaches to continue on the narrow road that leads to life in a world that's calling us to something else. So how do we live this out? I wanna give us just a few practical things to wrap up our, our time together this morning. The first is pursue one another. If you're gonna engage people like this, if you're gonna be able to come alongside people and help them in this way, you have to actually know people. You have to actually have relationship with other people. So I want to encourage you to pursue people in meaningful relationship. One of the best places you can start to look for these kinds of relationships is with people in your community group. Now, it doesn't have to be there. The goal isn't to get you in community group. The goal is for you to experience community. So if you find that in community group, great. But we want you to have real relationships with people who can do these kinds of things in your life and you in their lives. But you have to realize that it takes work, it takes ownership, it takes patience. Now listen, in order for this to happen at our church, we can't simply wait to be known and loved. That requires a vulnerability, right? We have to make ourselves known. God doesn't call you to be passive in your pursuit of community. No, we have to be willing and wanting to know others and willing and wanting to love others and then make ourselves known. So let me encourage you, invite others into your life. Make it easy for them. To admonish you or encourage you or help you. We have to be willing to be a pursuer of others like Jesus was for us and not simply wait to be pursued. Number two, believe you have something to offer. You don't have to have all the answers, you don't have to have it all together to help others follow Jesus. You need to know Jesus. So listen to me. If you're a, if you're a mom with young kids right now and you're thinking, I have no time for this. I can't do this. You can. doesn't mean you have to rearrange your whole entire life, but live life in front of others. Invite others into the mess. About how you're clinging to Christ in the midst of that. Listen, if you're of the older generation, I'm not going to give a number on that. I'll let you figure that out if that's you or not. This has been on my heart recently. Listen, if you're, if you're of the older generation, you have something to offer And there are a whole group of people here who are struggling in their parenting, who are struggling in relationships, struggling in their marriage. They're just not sure what to do. They're scratching their heads. You have something to offer them. Come alongside of them, encourage them, pour out your life into them to help them continue to be faithful. On the other end, college student. I don't care if you're 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, something, fifth lap, 23, 24. You have something to offer too, to someone older than you. If you know Christ, encourage them in Christ. We are a multi-generational church. Let's encourage one of their cross-generational lines and help each other in that way. You have something to offer. Because remember, you aren't pointing people to yourself to be impressed by you. You're pointing people to Jesus to be impressed by him. And listen, if you're in a place of faint-heartedness right now or weakness, if you're suffering, experiencing challenging circumstances, if you're even faltering right now as you strive to be faithful, listen to me especially, you have something to offer also. You have something to offer also. You can still point people to King Jesus because you know right now that his grace is sufficient for you and his power is made perfect in your weakness. Mark Dever, a pastor down in Washington, D.C. says this, our examples of enduring hardship are often more powerful than the stories of our success and triumph. Speaking of stories, number three, share your life in stories of grace. Listen, it's fine to talk about TV shows, sports, March Madness, right? It's fine to do that. It's okay to do that. It's fine to talk about what's going, around, going on around the world. But man, don't leave it at that. If you're gonna help one another follow Jesus, seek to share your life in stories of grace where you see the gospel at work in your life and the lives of others. 1 Thessalonians 2 earlier in this book, Paul says, so being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves. If you're going to truly help one another follow Jesus, be honest about your life, the good and the bad, the ups and the downs, and encourage one another with what you know to be true about your king and his kingdom. This happened recently. I just heard this story this week. The Catrells, a member, a member family in our church, invited a young, uh, a community group of young couples over to their house. They initiated it and said, want, We want to invite you guys over. We want to talk about life. We want to talk about marriage. We want to talk about parenting, the good and the bad. They talked about how Christ has met them in that and helped them in that. Man, I love that. Share those stories of grace, share your life with one another. Number four. Make space and count the cost. In order to have these kind of relationships, to be able to admonish and encourage and help, you have to make space in your life for them. Simple to say, not so easy to do. Right? We all have other things going on. We've got work, we've got family, we've got other commitments. This is a challenge for me in my own life right now. We have four kids doing different sports, different activities, trying to figure out how to make it all work. But you have to understand that this is a long-term investment that requires short-term real sacrifices. Sometimes you have to say no to things. Listen, Jesus died and rose again to create a new community, a new humanity. It's worth running hard after that. Fifth and finally, keep looking to Jesus. Brothers and sisters, I desire for us to be a community that is only explainable because of the gospel. That when people experience what we have going on here in our lives with one another, there's something different about it from the way the rest of the world operates. We're a community brought together by the blood of Jesus who in God's providence has given us the opportunity to be in each other's lives. So let's fix our eyes on Jesus and celebrate that gift and pursue one another so that we can help one another faithfully follow him. Listen, we are all people in process making progress. We're all people in process making progress. God is at work and he will finish what he's begun in our lives and in this church. Look at chapter five, verses 23 and 24. Paul ends this letter this way. He says, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you, make you more like Jesus completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Church, he will surely do it that he will use his people to that end. Amen. May it be so.